Father, we dedicate this hour into your hands as we pray. Lord, that you cleanse us, that we pray that souls be quickened to your own honor and glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. I welcome you all to this service of thanksgiving and offering. I want to thank the chaplain of this chapel for granting me the honor to be before you. I'm not taking it for granted. I want to also thank all of you leaders and members of the hospital chaplaincy for today. I must not fail to thank, even though I know there will be a time of thanks. I cited my mentor, Professor Eze Magulike, seated here. I'm delighted to now teach him and let him listen. Thank you, sir. He's part of why I'm here. He's part of why I have the honor to be here. But that is a story for another day. I was worried. I almost wanted to step down from the schedule, the time of offering and tithe. I didn't see it well spread out. But he said weekly offering and tithes item 13 in our order of service. 
I wish therefore to step down item 17, which again is specifying thanksgiving until we get certain things right. I would have wanted us to have it right before the first offering, but I didn't see this program. So let's have it right. When we say we've come for offering, the Bible scholar puts it this way, that there are three segments to every offering. The first one is you, the offerer. The second one is what you are giving, the offering. And the third one is the receiver. If the first two are not right, the last one will be rejected. And that is why I'm worried that we already made an offering without putting the first two right. The essence of our sermon today is to have the first two right. The offerer. The story is well spelled out, really, in the offering of Cain and Abel. Abel, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, gave his firstling and also gave the fat thereof. And I like my own Bible interpretation. My Bible interpretation says that the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. My prayer today is that God will have respect unto you. That God will have respect unto your offering in the name of Jesus. The second aspect is the, is the offering of Cain. Cain also gave an offering. But the Lord had no respect for the offering of Cain. So something must be wrong with the offerer. And that is why we must get the offerer right. Because while the offerer is wrong, the offering is also wrong. My prayer is that God will respect you. At times I like such words that describe God's relationship with some men. God said of Abraham that God swore in the name of God that Abraham would be blessed. May God swear that you will be blessed in Jesus' name. But it depends on two things. You, the offerer, and your offering. It is not into cognizance what your past is. Otherwise, people like David wouldn't have enjoyed such descriptions that God said, David was a man after his heart. Today, the offerer is important. And that offerer is you. Therefore, we must get it right before you come up here today to make your offering. Let us look at Mark chapter 12 verse 41. And that is the last example about the offerer. They say that in, in verse 41, Jesus beheld how they brought their offering. I want you to look at the emphasis of the word. How? That is the story of the widow's mites. We quote it every day. That the widow gave all that she had. And Jesus was there. Watching them. The scripture did not say that Jesus was looking at what she gave. 
Jesus was looking beyond what she gave. Jesus was looking at how she did what? At how she did what? How she gave. How she gave goes beyond what she gave. How she gave also encompasses who gave it. In verse 42, in verse 42, in verse 42, the scripture describes it this way. My own interpretation of the Bible. And there came a certain poor widow. There came a certain poor widow. I'm not a student of grammar. But I want to say that God recognized this widow even before she gave. The scripture said that there came as she was coming God recognized her. God saw what she was to give and saw how she was to give it. Our prayer this morning is that as you dance up, may God recognize you in Jesus' name. May God recognize you even before he sees what you have given. God recognized what she gave. Verse 44 says that she gave all that she had and also all her living. Let's leave the details for theologians. Therefore, I want you to go back to your envelope. I want to believe we have all been given envelopes. I have one. I had a battle this morning. Uh, what to put in the envelope. Because I, had two env I have two envelopes to attend to today. One is for God. One is for somebody. And the battle was that the one I'm, I'm giving to somebody seems bigger than the one I want to give to God. Is it because the person will see it? Is it because the person will see it? And I think God will not see what I am giving. And so this message is also for me. My prayer is that as God speaks to me, God will also speak to you through me. In Jesus' name. What do we give to God? What, has you put, what have you put in the envelope? Please just pick up your envelope. Remove whatever you have in that envelope. Remove something. That God wants you to give. And that thing that God wants you to give. Is you. If you can put yourself in that envelope. And you give it to God. God will recognize you as you come. God will know how you give. God will see beyond what you have given. God will first and foremost. See you. In the envelope. May God see you in Jesus name. That sounds a riddle. Like Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus could not see how a, an adult like him could repackage himself and re-enter into his mother's womb and be born again. But today, you will see it. Our prayer is that you will, God will give you the wisdom. That God will give you the intellect. God will give you the conviction to remove yourself. Put yourself inside that envelope. And first and foremost, give it to God. That is the subject of our sermon this morning. The sermon this morning is taken from Romans chapter 12. I will take just the two verses. But it encompasses the whole letter of Paul to the Romans. Where the scripture talks about a living sacrifice. A living Sacrifice. I'll read it again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Almost every word in this in these uh, verses is powerful. Sorry to express a personal opinion. Romans chapter 12, the entire Romans chapter 12 is my best chapter in the entire scripture. Somehow I see it as encompassing the entire counsel of God. When I have a challenge, it has a message for every time. The message may not be for today, but give me a challenge and I go to Romans chapter 12, I will find the answer. It's a very encompassing passage in the scripture. Therefore, these two verses, I want us to take them within the time frame we have. Take them in phrases, take them in words, take them in sentences with no really special order, but in some order without some form of uh, spontaneity. But let's take it the way it is. The first two says, I beseech you. Some interpretations will say, I encourage you. Some will say, I plead with you. Some will say, I exhort you. The God, through Paul, is talking to the Roman church. And is pleading with the Roman church. I plead with you. I beseech you. I mean, it's like uh, what the philosophers would call a mother's love. I was listening, I was watching, I can't direct it clearly, but I was watching a life story of a man who was a serial killer. He reconstructed his, his vehicle and he hides in it and he shoots human beings without human beings knowing where the shot came from. And he was enjoying killing people until he was detected and caught. He was put in prison. As he was in prison, he escaped. And where did he head first to? For the days they were looking for him, he was heading to his mother's house. He came to his mother's house. It's not that the mother supported him as a serial killer. But the love of a mother made the mother to keep him. The mother hid him, recruited him, re-equipped him financially, and retained him for him to leave the country. He did leave the country. But he was caught in the other country where he went to. It was when he was brought back that he now told his story. And the mother was part of uh, the story. That is called the mother's love. Jesus has this love. And that was why on the cross of Calvary he said, Lord forgive them. There was a passion. There was a passion for those who were getting lost. He knew the way out. But the will is in them. And so he pleaded with them. Paul pleaded with the church. He had passion for people to be saved. 
And that is the passion that God wants you and I to go with. That passion that will cause us to plead with people. That will cause us to beseech people. In fact, Paul, in most of his write-ups, I would like us to look at uh, his other write-up in Corinthians. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 18 going. But let's skip some verses. In verse 20, Paul was referring to himself as an ambassador of Christ. A representative of Christ. And he says, as though God did beseech you by him, he said, we pray, we pray you that you be reconciled to God. That is Paul crying. Be ye reconciled with God. In fact, in, first, in his, his other letter, First Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 16, he also said, in fact, he almost placed a curse on himself. For he said that necessity is placed upon him to witness to men. He said, woe. I don't know what you understand by that word, woe. He said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. That is the same pain that Paul is going through in this passage. That mother's love. That desire that humanity will be saved. Moses in Exodus chapter 32 verse 32 expressed that of the people he was leading. My prayer is that our leaders will also express that of us. He expressed that. In fact, the scripture says that he cried. He cried to the Lord, to God and said, save these people. And he even offered, if it be possible, blot my name out of the book of life. If that could be done, just for God to save the people that he was leading. Paul had this passion. And this passion brought about the word, I beseech you. The phrase, I beseech you. And then he added, the next word, therefore. 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 Therefore is an assumption. But therefore is talking about the past. And is linking the past to the future. Therefore, he's talking about the first, what he has written in, from chapter 1 to chapter 11. We are not going into that analysis. But in, from chapter 1 to chapter 7 to chapter 11, he had told them everything that we make the giver right. Everything that we make you as an offerer right before God. And it's when that offering is right that the offering is right. And when the offering is right, the receiver will not reject it. My prayer is that God will not reject your offering in Jesus' name. Therefore, therefore, start for a transition in this message. A transition that clearly spells out the love of God. From, verse, from chapter 1 to chapter 11, it expresses the righteousness which is in Christ. It expresses the justification which you, the giver, will enjoy in the presence of God. That when God stands there and looks at you giving, he will see his righteousness in you. 
that you the offerer is right with him he will see the justification in you that he's not standing there judging you he's standing there as an advocate not as a judge he will see you in his secret place he will see you as someone who has the word of eternal life god will find it in you if he doesn't find it in you don't come here to waste your resources but our prayer is that your resources will be found fruitful in the face of God in the name of Jesus. God will find eternal life in you. He will find his faith in you. That you are coming up as a believer. He's finding hope in you. He's finding his peace. That is peace that passes all understanding. He's finding, finding his power. And above all things, he's seeing you as somebody who will share in his glory. That is the essence of that word. That word therefore is therefore calling, calling you and I to a point of covetousness. That let us convey the finished work that Paul had taken time to describe in chapters 1 to 11. And that finished work is in God's mercies. That he called it God's mercies. He didn't say God's mercy. He didn't say God's mercy. Bible scholars say that these mercies can be found just in a short period of time from his death to his resurrection. He just passed from his death to his resurrection. Because the scripture says that in Adam, you and I died. That mercy clears six dispensations of God's relationship with you and I. When he came to fulfill it, those who were protecting the law accused him of breaking the law. And he said to them, I am not breaking the law. I have only come to do what? To fulfill the law and the prophets. It is recorded that in the resurrection of Christ, not less than 300 prophecies were fulfilled. It is not the subject for today. Not less than 300 prophecies that spanned over 400 years, we are fulfilled in that dispensation. And he did it for one reason, because of you and I. A man wrote a book. After I had looked at what you and I look like, the humanity in us, I see now why the man wrote a book. And by the end of the book, he was in confusion what to title it. And he titled it what? The Animal Called Man. If Christ is not in you, you are worse than an animal. You know in Hebrew, like Hebrew palace, we tell somebody is an animal. But somebody again is speaking on behalf of the animal kingdom. He said that we should go and apologize to the animals. Because that what is in us is worse than what is in them. A woman will give birth to a child and put the child in a carton. And throw the child into a dustbin. Can any animal do that? It's impossible. Just because he felt, I don't want this child. I didn't plan for this child. I threw this child away. He hides, does everything he can do, gives back to the child, and throws the child away. But there you, there you, touch the baby, the, the, the chicken. And the mother will tell you that she can fly. And she will fly as high as to poke off your eyes, if it's possible, 
to deliver that child from you. And we are here comparing ourselves with animals. I think the animal kingdom should be cursing themselves and saying you are doing like a human being. Not like an animal. But our prayer today is that God will deliver us. In his finished work of deliverance. That in this dispensation of grace, we shall be partakers of his grace. Even human beings have described themselves in terrible ways. Go to Psalm chapter 51 and see how David described himself. David described himself. When he has done the most stupid thing that he could imagine that a human being could do. And Nathan came to him and said to him, Thou art the man. And he went into this lamentation. In Psalm chapter 51. That was the psalm David wrote when he found himself in this mess. And he prayed to God in verse 1 to have mercy upon him. He now knew that God has long suffering and loving kindness. And he prayed for it. He tried, he provoked God in every good thing that was in God, that is in God. In verse 3, he said that I acknowledge my transgressions. That is what he wants you to acknowledge. He said, I acknowledge my transgressions. And he said, my sins are ever before me. He went further to say that he was shaped in iniquity. He knew the fall of man. He knew he was born in iniquity. And he so described himself. But he went further to covet God. In verses 10 and 11 to 12, he now wanted God to see God in him. And he prayed, Cast, create in me, I pray God, a clean heart. He said to God, renew the right spirit within me. May my prayer today be that God will create a new spirit in my heart in the name of Jesus. As you package you in you in the envelope, may God find a new heart in it in the name of Jesus. May God find the right spirit in that envelope in the name of Jesus. May God not find his, his absence. May he find his presence. In verse 11 he said, Create, cast me not away. In that casting not away, you are praying that God should not reject your offering. But God will not reject your offering if you have offered yourself. And you cannot offer yourself except in verse 12 where God says, Restore in me the joy of thy salvation. May God's salvation be restored in you in the name of Jesus. Paul again is a character that described himself. Thereafter, I will leave this, this aspect. Paul described himself in, Paul, in, Romans, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 7, from verse 4. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but that I am carnal, sold under sin. In one of Billy Graham's classics, he was trying to describe sin. And he said that sin is nothing but a disease. And uh, I don't know why he connected it to the cardiologist. He said sin is a spiritual heart disease. A spiritual heart disease. Which 
Paul recognized here. In verse 15, he came out more explicitly. He said that, for that which I do, I allow not. Within him, there is a war. There is what he does that he did not really allow. For what I would that I do, I do not. That is the man you are. That is the man I am. That is the man that cannot on his own be a good offerer. That is the man that God cannot see and see you as a good offerer. God must see something in you. God must see himself in you if you must be a good offerer. If I can go on and go on, but let me give you two more examples of who you are and who I am. In Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 6, sorry, from verse 5 following, after God had created man and we decided to be disobedient to God, God now found this. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great. When we fall out of the presence of God, we acquired this human nature for which the wickedness that God saw in man was unimaginable. He said that every imagination of his thoughts was only evil continually. In fact, in Jeremiah's lamentation, in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, Jeremiah describes man the way I believe, I feel he's not describing me. And I pray he's not describing you. He says that the heart of man is deceitful. And for word of description, he says that both all things. And for that description, he says that this heart is desperately wicked. It's not just wicked. It's desperately. It's seeking for wickedness. But our desire is that Paul in his write-up in Romans chapter 7, chapter 7, gave an answer. In verse 24, he said, he called himself wretched man. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And in verse 25, he ended it. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May God find Christ in you, in the name of Jesus. Just a little insight. A little insight. Humanity had the opportunity not to be this low. But unfortunately, we are this low. If you read the entire the, 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 the Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, the, the, the chapter, is describing how we came this low. Describing the reason why we came this low. In verse 10, it describes us as such. For as many uh, of the works of the law are under the curse. It is written, Curse is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of law. I, can't go, I don't want to go down further. But the point is clear here. The point is clear here. That in the fifth dispensation, which, was, which is the dispensation of law, law was given to guide man, not to save man. Law was given to indict you, 
the Lord of God is not there for you to keep and be saved. The Lord of God is there to make you know you are a sinner. And then you start going for the solution. But the Lord does not make you. He said that, that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. However spiritual you think you have lived, if Christ is not found in it, it is like, it is like a filthy rag. In Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 26, the law of Moses makes it clear that cause is he that confirms not all. I like the word all. So that you don't say you keep some, uh, you don't keep some, uh, God will forgive some. If you've not had all, you are cursed. And the penalty for cause is bloodshed. That is why the scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That sin cannot be washed away if there is no shedding of blood. That takes us to Philippians chapter 2. 11, five, let's just read from 5 to 11, but let's just pick a few verses. Verse 5 says, That let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. Because Christ had to come to pay that sacrifice for you and I. And he wants that mind to be in you. That he, God, being in the form of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But in verse 7 he says, But he made himself of no reputation. In Isaiah chapter, chapter 53, the scripture describes him as a man for whom we don't really have a, a man of no attraction. A man that was despised. But in the bottom line of it, he's a man of love. In verse 8 of where we are reading, that is in Philippians chapter 2, the scripture tells us that being formed, fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. In verse 9 it says, Wherefore God also had exalted him. May God exalt you, you are given in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now, the epicenter, and that is the living sacrifice. God wants you to give yourself as a living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? Let's put it the other way. The sacrifice that is living. There was need for sacrifice for the atonement of sin. There was need for sacrifice. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were being made in all forms. They were called offerings. Burnt offering, or atonement, peace offering, name it. But we are not going into the details. But there is an essential sacrifice. In those days, when we were in the medical school, when you are clacking a patient, there was something that was always recurrent. And a professor in pediatrics once challenged us, and I keyed in with him, I agreed with him. Not that I spoke out, because I had no capacity to speak then. But I keyed in with him. You will be clacking a patient, and you come and say, the patient is the, is the, is the seventh child in a family of ten. All alive and uh, 
Well, is it no more part of medical jargon? All alive and what? I believe I'm in a medical system. You say all alive and well. And this professor will query you. What do you mean by alive and well? If somebody is well, is he not alive? So why say alive and again put well? Is either is alive and sick or he's well. Not alive and well. And I agree with him. But today, I disagree with him. Why am I disagreeing with him? You can be alive, but you can be without life. That's why I disagree. I now disagree with him. I have repented. You can be alive, but you don't have what? Life. You can dance both steps here because you are alive. But when God sits there to look, what he's looking for is life. Does that life live in you? Can God find life in you? The scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 11 from verse 11 from verse 1 John 5 sorry 1 John chapter 5 verse 11 following that God had given us life God has given you what? Life. Eternal life. Not just life. God has given us eternal life. And that this life is in Christ Jesus. That if you have Christ, you have what? If you have Christ, you have what? If you have Christ, you have what? He says again that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what God is looking for in your offering is whether that offering has life. Whether that offering does what? Have life. The offering of the Old Testament comes, according to some Bible scholars, it comes living, but it goes dead. When it's brought to the altar, it could be brought to the altar, spotless. But by the time it's finished its adventure in the altar, it will become meat that will be shared to the priests, and maybe to some of you. That is the sacrifice. If you come up today with, with a goat or with a cow, be rest assured that the priests will either kill it or sell it. They will kill it. Because that's the tradition. They will not sell it. They will kill it. And they will share it. And they will eat it. But in the altar where God wants you to come, He wants you to come dead. Dead in your sins. Come as you are. And He will give you life. You will come dead, but you will live with life. And that life is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In conclusion, in conclusion, the scripture wants us in the next two words that we be not conformed to this world, but we be transformed, transformed, 
transformed. That transformation is Christ in you. In conformation, you are molded the way the world wants it. Galatians chapter 2 verse 8 clearly describes it. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, through vain deceit, after the traditions of men, the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And he encourages you to be transformed. Go through that metamorphosis and become like Christ. You cannot be more transformed. I will give you this picture. That is the picture painted by Paul himself in his letter to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, he did not remind them anyway that he was mentored by Gamaliel. But in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 3, he told them that if it comes to trusting the flesh, he was more. That if it comes to being of the stock of Israel, if it comes to circumcision, he was circumcised on the eighth day. That he was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And he said, if it comes to being a Hebrew, I'm a Hebrew of what? Hebrews. In fact, in those days, it is said that an Israelite, an Israeli male, will wake up in the morning and thank God for three things. The first one is thanking God is that he's not a female. Females, I hope you don't get angry. He thanks God that he's not a female. Then he thanks God that he's not a Gentile. Then he thanks God that he's not a slave. These were the qualities that Paul had. And that these are the qualities that he used to describe himself. And he said as, as touching the law. Touching the law, this book of law that caused him to go to Damascus. Touching the law that he was a Pharisee. And he said that concerning zeal, he was persecuting the church. Then, then touching righteousness. Touching righteousness. He had his own private interpretation of righteousness. The righteousness that was in the law. But in verse 8, he said, all these things I count but dung. I don't know whether you know what dung is. I passed a few dungs on my street this, this, this morning. And I was like, is this what Paul is talking about? Cow dungs. That's it for him. All these qualities that you have. All these qualities that make you feel that you don't need God. Paul had ten times of it. But he counted all of them but dung. Just to know the power that is in Christ. In, the, in, 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 in uh, Philippians 3 verse 10, he said that I may do what? That I may know him. Know him and know the power of his uh, resurrection. I don't know what you are battling with. But I will end by describing all of us here. Or rather categorizing all of us here. And letting us know. That of all that are here, we have a place in God. If David had a place in God, if Paul, who was killing Christians, had a place in God, even Abraham, Abraham at a point to save his head, told a lie about his wife. If all these men could have a place in God, then you have a place in God. You have a place in God. Just do the right thing. 
and you have a place in God. Let me categorize us here. The extreme that may not be here is somebody who says that he's an atheist. If you say you don't believe in God, I would rather re-describe you. It's either you are running away from the responsibilities that go with being with God. Because it's not without responsibility. And you may call yourself a free thinker. I don't think that you are free thinking to be here. So I won't spend time on people like this. But I'll just describe them in one, in one, in one phrase. A Bible scholar said, we better describe them as people who don't know about God. Or who don't know God. It's not that they don't believe in God. But they don't know God. Paul had that experience when he went to Athens. He saw the man with an inscription to the unknown God. Because I think they were more direct and human. For them there is a God. But who is unknown? We don't know him. And I'm sure if Thomas were to be there, he would be that frank too. Because God was telling him about the Father. He said that we don't know the Father. And Jesus was saying, you see me and you don't know the Father. I like his frankness. And he's always ready to learn. I'm sure there are people within me, within the twelve, who would have, who are also confused. But he spoke out. So if, if your, your problem is that you don't know God, today you will know God in Jesus' name. Our prayer is that as you come for an offering, you offer yourself to that God. And that God will create a new spirit within you. And that God will recreate himself within you. And you will know him. There are people who believe the next category. That they don't need God now. They are comfortable. They don't need God now. Or they worship their conscience. The God is in them. They are in the hostess now. Worshipping their conscience. Worshipping what they think is God. They can worship God more than Cornelius worshipped him. In Cornelius chapter 10, verse 2, the scripture describes Cornelius as a devout man, man of God. In fact, the scripture went further to say he feared God. That he gave arms. He even prayed to God. It's not where your faith is. It is in what your faith is. He prayed to God, but he did not know God. But we thank God that God had compassion on him and gave him a day of offering that he will not only be the offerer, he will offer himself unto God. And through Peter, he offered himself to God. The scripture says, you might think you are on the right way, but the scripture tells you that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. In Proverbs 16, verse 25, the scripture tells us that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end is destruction. The end is destruction. You might be living in regrets, another category of human beings. In fact, I was with a, a, a junior colleague yesterday, and he was confessing unto me his action within the week and how he's ending up with a great regret. I had to encourage him. 
that not just uh, regretting, that regret calls for repentance. It calls for repentance. I was reading a journal. A questionnaire was distributed to people who were very frank. And what was the frankness? Teenagers were giving questionnaires and they were asked to think how you feel after an illicit sexual play. And 75% of them feel that they come out with regret. They come out with regret. The scripture says, the scripture admits that you regret. It admits that you regret. But that your regret must be in conformity with the regret in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, verse 10. I know of a man who, when he sees, he doesn't see beer and things of that stuff often. And when he sees it, he drinks. And when he's drinking, he's uh, telling himself not to be drunk. He's encouraging himself not to be drunk. But once he gets tipsy, he decides he knew he had gotten drunk. And he starts to cry. Why are you crying? Are you crying because you've hit a shame, a shameful end? The scripture says there is room for you. In Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10, the scripture says that there is godly sorrow. If you have that godly sorrow, that this godly sorrow worketh out repentance. And this repentance gives you salvation. So don't languish in a category of people that live in regret. But let that your regret not be a worldly sorrow. Because that worldly sorrow will lead you to death. That worldly sorrow will lead you to death. Don't say again there's a category of people who say it is not now. It is not now. I remember the first time I entered, sorry, the priest is not here. It's late now. The first time I entered an ordination class, I was barely 40 years. And this great man of God came and was looking at me and was like querying me. What sir, do you think you are trying to do? Go and enjoy life first. And thereafter, you come. He almost spoke directly to me. Why? Because he felt it was not time. It was too early in life for one to say, I am for God. But remember the words of wisdom. In Psalm 90, verse 12, the scripture says, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Unto what? Wisdom. Unto what? Wisdom. The man of wisdom also fell on the roadside, almost. At the time, we are talking of Solomon's apostasy. The scripture was almost talking about Solomon's apostasy. For Solomon went and took off Philistine wives, but learned from others' experience. For the same Solomon, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 5, verse 8, said, Vanity of vanities. All is what? Vanity. He had it all. But he looked back and said, Vanity of vanities. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, the same Solomon said, Remember now thy creator 
in the days of thy youth. Why the evil days come not? Nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And in verse 13, he made a conclusion of what humanity is all about. Let us hear therefore the conclusion of the whole matter. And the conclusion of the whole matter is that you should fear God and keep his commandment. For this is the whole duty of man. That is the whole business that God has put for you. In verse 14 he said, For God shall bring every work unto judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The Lord wants you to take a decision today. The Lord wants you to take a decision today. A decision of relationship with Him. And that relationship will go with a responsibility. And it is that decision that will cause God to accept you as an offerer and therefore accept your offering. Let us hear what the Lord is saying to us individually. The Lord wants you to be in this final group. And that group is a group that has today decided that you will follow Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, from verse 1 to verse 5, the scripture clearly describes of the, describes to us the Macedonian church. It was a church that had great trials of affliction. But they had an abundance of joy. They were poor, deep. It is described as deep poverty. In their deep poverty, in their deep poverty, they gave to God. In verse 5, it is said, And this they did, not as we hope, but they did one thing first. And what is that thing they did first? They gave themselves to the Lord. That was why I said we did an offering. I would have stopped. Let us put it right. So that we give first ourselves unto God. And when we give ourselves to God, God will accept our offering. But when we don't give ourselves to God, God will deny our offering. One thing that the Lord wants you to do now is to hand over yourself unto Him. Hand over yourself unto the Lord. In the past, you have been the one that has been holding God, most likely. You take Him to your, to your imagined needs and desires. I heard when the priest was saying, let us pray that God will meet. That was the last topic in the prayer. And by 31st January, we shall come here again with a shopping list of 10 things that God will do for us in 2024. Because we are holding the hand of God. God wants an interchange. Let the Lord hold your hand today. And God will take you to your destination. He who holds the hand, holds the destination. When you allow God to hold your hand, God will take you to your destination. It doesn't matter what you are passing through. It is not what you are passing through that matters. What matters is where you are going to. You may pass through valleys and shadows of all sorts of evil. But what matters is where you are going to. May the Lord lead you to the promised land. In the name of Jesus. Let us pray. The scripture says that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. May God cause you to cause joy in heaven today. 
may you cause joy in heaven today. The Lord said that even if 99 sheep are in safety, for that one sheep, he will go searching. The Lord has come searching for you. And the Lord is ready to lift you up and cause heaven to rejoice in your stead. The scripture says in Luke 9, 23, If any man come after me, let him deny himself. Deny yourself this day. Let him take up his cross. Take up your cross today. And that should be done daily. And follow me. He said that whosoever, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and comes to the point of losing himself and be cast away? The Lord does not want to reject your offering. But the Lord will first and foremost accept you. The Lord is not in a position to reject you. Today is for you to have a reasonable thinking. And like the prodigal son to say, I will arise. I will arise. And I will go to the Father. If you want the church of God to arise with you today, to present you as an arisen Christian, who has said I will arise and go to the Father? And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against you. The Lord has an accommodation for you. If you want us to lead you to Christ this morning, do you mind raising your hand wherever you are? If you be ashamed of me in this world, I'll be ashamed of you in the world that is to come. Pray this prayer with me, gracious Father. I thank you for this hour. I pray, Lord, that you forgive me my transgressions. I pray, gracious Father, that you enlist me into the army of redemption. Forgive me my past. Accommodate me. And make me an army, a soldier of this great force. And at the end, gracious Lord, may have cause to testify that the Lord has been with me. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. And gracious Father, we thank you for all your children who are standing or even not standing. But gracious Lord, whom you have spoken to this morning, Father, we pray that you grant us grace to grow in you. Father, we pray that you grow in our Bible study life, in our prayer life, God, in our communion with one another. And Father, may our lives be a testimony. May men look at us and read and say, This is an epistle written, not on the heart of flesh, but by the Holy Spirit, on the heart of God. And at the end of time, gracious Lord, grant us grace to testify like Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith and have finished the race. Father, may you find favor with us. For we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And Amen.